0: welcome to the saving capitalism podcast hey. i am so excited today to have craig kerlop in here and he is up in beautiful northern idaho we were uh talking about that and uh, um very involved in real estate and has a very interesting background, including bigger pockets. So I'm really excited to jump in here and talk about this crazy
1: market we're in and uh, uh, get some feedback. So, Craig, how you doing, man? Dude, I'm doing, I'm doing phenomenal, and it's, uh, it's great to hear that you're uh, a, a half. We'll call you a half resident of Lane. So, right, it, making friends every day up here. So, <laughs> exactly. Oh, that's awesome, and. Now, you've been in,
0: in real estate for for a while, but uh, you were kind of, you know, at the heart of, I, I think, more this online real estate podcast uh, revolution because you were a part of Bigger Pockets at one standpoint. And so let, let's walk through here. Prior to that, how did you start to get engaged in real estate investing, house hacking, the whole works um,
1: that most people think of? when they think of the
0: real estate investing world?
1: Yeah, so I think like a lot of people, I I, I started off, off because of some sort of pain. And that pain for me was a W-2 job that I had in California back when I just graduated college, right? And so I graduated college and I was ready to retire pretty much right after I graduated. So uh, I I was in this job that I hated and I, I came across this whole idea of passive income after reading Tim Ferriss' book, The 4-Hour Workweek and i was in silicon valley at the time and so real estate really wasn't on my mind because properties were two million plus and it wasn't really even fathomable but i was living at the time i was living in san jose in a 20 unit apartment complex and i saw and every month i would give this little 65 70 year old latina woman you know two thousand dollars worth of rent and i looked around in my 20 unit complex and i was like man if she's collecting $2,000 Two thousand dollars from twenty different people—that's forty thousand dollars in rent—and all she has to do is drive her little Toyota Camry over here to pick it up. That seems pretty powerful. And so then I was like, "All right, like I'm gonna get into real estate." I did a I did a quick Google search, uh, found Bigger Pockets, which I initially thought was a scam. Funny enough, um, <laughs> and then I bought a book on real estate because you can't get scammed from a book. And they mentioned bigger pockets in the book, and I was like, "Okay, so bigger pockets is legit." Little did I know, bigger pockets actually wrote that book I was reading or published it, and so they got me, even though I tried to have my sales resistance and my barriers up. And I basically dove into the podcast, and 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 from there, it's pretty much history. I was sold in real estate 100. That's awesome. And where did you start investing in? So I I moved. So funny enough, I was I was diving into their content for a few months. And then I saw that they were hiring for a finance job, so I applied to it, got it, moved to Denver, and then within about a month and a half of moving to Denver, I had bought my first property—a a house hack uh, yeah. under the office in Denver. That's all. Awesome. That's that's
0: such an entry point for so many people, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's a, like a great way to get your feet wet, get ownership, but also to be creating equity and income. Because either way, you're like, I got to pay rent, right? So, it's like, I, I got to pay rent. So, I might as well have at least somebody helping me pay my rent. And instead of going to the landlord, it's going to me, right? I'm paying down that debt. I'm uh, even if you're not cash flow positive when you're house hacking, it's you're you would have been paying for it anyways. So, you're creating an asset. And then when you move out, you can have somebody else come in and rent and make it cash flow pro- positive. So, how did that first deal work out for you? Did it work out good or was it? One of the, eh,
1: just learned and made mistakes. Uh, uh, so the deal overall worked out good. Um, and, uh, and I went against pretty much everything almost anybody said almost most. So at the time, uh, the only way to house hack was to buy a duplex, triplex, or quad. And triplexes and quads were too expensive at the time for me in Denver. Surprise, surprise. So I bought a duplex. Um, top, bottom, it was a mile and a half from the office. I really wanted to bike to work and, and just kind of live that kind of lifestyle. So I did. Uh, I lived in the bottom, rented out the top. Um, but I still wasn't living for free. Um, my, my mortgage payment was about $2,000 a month and I was renting the top out for 1750 And I was like hell bent on living for free. So I rented out my bedroom downstairs on Airbnb and I slept in the living room behind this curtain cardboard box room divider type thing. And that was like me paying my dues. At the time I was 24 years old, I was single and I was like, there's, like, there's no better time for me to make some sacrifices than right now. And so I went ahead and did that. And people talk about, you know, the cash flow in real estate is great and house hacking is great. But what I did more so than just add like a thousand dollars or so a month of cash flow was I bought a lottery ticket, right? Like anytime you buy real estate, like you're buying a lottery ticket that is going to cash flow you. And the appreciation is kind of what you don't know about. Like people predicted, and most people are wrong when they do, but it's really a crapshoot. And so I bought it in an area. It was a bit sketchy, but it was just out. I mean, it was five minutes from downtown Denver, uh, and I really didn't know. I, I I was living there for a month, right? Like, if I told you that I was an expert in the market, I, you could tell I was lying. Yeah. But today, yeah, we're talking almost six years later. That property appraised for um, over double what I bought it for, right? And so, yeah. four hundred thousand plus dollars of equity later, I bought a lottery ticket, and it was a it was a good one. <laughs> right? And so that's that's what it is. That was the fun in real estate.
0: Yeah. I, I, I like that. It pays you, right, to wait and see. And the whole idea, just like you're saying, that equity portion, I, I feel so strongly with that because we talk about this all the time. The equity piece is that unknown piece. And the, we find out ways in real estate that we can force appreciation, right? But market-given appreciation, you just don't know if it's going to Happen, so that's why I don't invest for that, right? So we, us, we don't buy and say we think the market is going to make demand go up um, on the buyer side, so it'll make uh, make more money. So we don't invest like that because it is a lottery ticket. So I need to be being paid to hold that lottery ticket. Yeah. I, I I need that cash flow coming in. So if that lottery ticket doesn't play out like I thought it would, it doesn't matter because I'm still getting paid, right? So. Exactly. Uh, and then I can, and then I can affect that income coming in, which in turn can affect the appreciation. So now you left bigger pockets. What do you do now?
1: Yeah. So after picking up a couple house tax, I left bigger pockets. In uh, the reason why I left bigger pockets was because I became a real estate agent, an investor friendly real estate agent, and on the side I was doing two or three deals a month, like whilst still working full time. And so I was making probably triple to quadruple as to what Bigger Pockets was paying me just from my side hustle. Yeah. And so the writing's on the wall. Um, I, I pretty much had to quit, or I say graduate from Bigger Pockets. Yes. And um, I became a full time real estate agent. And that first year, I became a full time real estate agent. I did like I did 100 deals in my first 12 months. Um, and so it was just, it was mayhem, but not sustainable because like I was doing everything myself, super lean. I made a lot of money, more money than I've ever made. Um, but at that point I was like, okay, I either need to maybe struggle to this for another year or retire right off into the sunset. And, you know, maybe I'm like $2 million a year retire. Right. But that wasn't super exciting to me. I wanted the challenge of, okay, like, and I wanted to help more people. And so that's why I decided to build the fight team, which is a team of investor friendly agents, uh, mainly in Denver. And, um, and yeah, and then we've been growing from there. So. How you guys are building out this
0: team and this network with with this niche where it's like we are helping investors, right? And this it, it is a different way of looking at the market. So an investor looking at it as compared to um a homeowner buyer, obviously different metrics, different things they care about. And that could be really frustrating for anybody working with agents and trying to say, no, I'm looking for this. Oh, but this is a great option over here. This does not meet my criteria, my requirements. So, what is it that you guys are doing differently than you would say a normal agent would? And how do you help investors? So, if I'm an investor saying I'm looking for a good investment, okay, what does that mean?
1: And how do you help them? Yeah, that's a great question. And, you know, we, We have a lot of people that come to me and say, "Yeah, we want to invest in Denver," and I don't think there's a a single person that knows how to invest in Denver like more than people on our team do in terms of like if you're an individual person looking for a residential investment. And so they might come to me, right, from North Carolina and say, "I want to invest in Denver and I want to burr," right? And I'm just like, "Well, you really can't burr in Denver. Like it's really, really hard to do." And so, you know, you when you're talking about price points of 400,000 and you got to put in a hundred thousand to make it worth it, you're at 500,000 in, in order to refinance out, you got to get like another $150,000 of appreciation on that. It's just like, it's really hard to do. Um, any, any, anyone that burrs you'll find, I think they're probably in cheaper markets. And so they'll come to us. You're not in Boise, Idaho. Yeah, exactly. Um, and even Boise is probably too expensive to burn these days, but um, way too expensive. You can't do it in Boise. That's why. Yeah. Like,
0: I, I I ran the math there. I'm like, I don't know how this is even possible to, to play in. Of course, I don't ever say anything's impossible. Of course you could probably find a deal, but to do it scale, right? I Most people are not doing that in this market. They're out going into other markets.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's, it's kind of like any any sports team or any like basketball team, right? Like I, I I grew up playing basketball and my coach always told me, you got to take what the defense gives you, right? And so if the defense is sagging back, you shoot the three. If they're playing up, you blow by them. And so my whole thing is like, you got to take what the real estate market gives you. Yeah. And so in, in Denver, right? What's great about Denver and probably similar like Boise is there's there's a lot of commerce. There's a lot of people coming to visit for vacation um, and, and it's a great place to invest. And so what do we do? And, and also, what are the house prototypes there too? And so in the like typical range that we like to see probably from a four hundred dollars to $700,000 price range, there's probably like six different layouts of houses. And so many of them have basements. And if you can find a layout where you can split the upstairs from the downstairs, right, you could basically have this faux duplex. It's a single family house with a mother-in-law suite, perfectly legal. And you can rent them out as two separate units, getting double the rent. On a cheaper home in a nicer area, and that still works in Denver, where you can actually get cash flow of five hundred to a thousand dollars a month in a nice single family investment.
0: Yeah. Now, let's talk here first of all a little bit about the market. Yeah. Um, Denver was a fast growing market. I'm invested in Denver. Um, I have. Um, jeez, I don't even know how many square feet there. Um, We're building on more, but I think it's around 500,000 net rentable square feet. And uh, Denver was like most, uh, or a lot of these Western markets that were second tier, almost first tier, an extraordinarily fast growing market that came with a lot of appreciation. And people were buying for that. Just, we got to buy it because it's going to be worth more. The following year, now not nearly as much as prior than to two thousand and eight, but still that was a common threat. There was limited supply, lots of people moving in, rents were climbing. It, they were just everybody's like, this is a good investment. Um, with higher interest rates coming in, how has it affected these faster growing markets? I think you know, I think about like Nashville, right? I think about a lot of these southeast and some of these more of the interior western markets. Salt Lake, Arizona, Boise, Denver, right? It's like these in Austin, Texas, just fast-growing mid-size to right on the cusp of being bigger markets. What's going on right now, and how can investors adapt to it? And is it over? Are we seeing stabilization points? Walk us through it.
1: Yeah, you know, and, and that's that's like the million dollar question, right? Is that the market environment now is is tremendously different than it was just a couple just last year even, right? And so with these high and higher interest rates is really the biggest thing. And so, you know, the common advice that you're hearing everybody say, and I do agree with it, is you know, date the rate or marry the house kind of thing, right? Where they're saying, you know, buy now. Yeah, the interest rates are high. Yeah, you may not cash flow, or might be a break-even type deal, but hopefully, and the keyword there is hopefully, rates will go down to five percent. Then prices will go up, and you'll have all this equity. And there's something to that. I think the odds of that happening are pretty good, but you don't want to bank on that. And so that's when that's where getting creative is is really how you how you make it in these bigger cities. Because yes, uh, the price points are higher, especially the rent to price points are higher. But there's also a lot more demand for short-term rentals, for medium-term rentals, for long-term rentals. We do stuff with boarding houses. Um, and so it's just getting creative in these markets. Um, Airbnb arbitrage is another great thing that, that I do. Like I rent it out to somebody, to some younger hustling person um, who wants to make an extra buck. They'll pay me above market rent. They'll save me property management fees, but they're going to go rent it out on Airbnb and keep the difference. And I'm just like, all day, I will do that. All day long. That's interesting. You own it,
0: but you're renting it to somebody that will do Airbnb, and you get the premium for that. You get the consistency. They take on the upside from the risk of whether it'll be a good month, a bad month, whether they can get renters in. And how
1: long do you set those contracts for? Those yearly contracts. So yeah, we'll go. Well, I'll do a year long lease to start, and if the relationship works. I'll do then tack all the two year lease onto uh, like at, at the end of the first year. So I'm just coming up on my first year now. I just signed a two year lease with this woman who, who's doing it, and I mean it's great, right? Like my, my market rent on one of my properties, I could probably get forty four thousand, maybe forty two hundred. Um, she's giving me fifty two hundred with no property management fee. So that's like a net almost fifteen hundred dollar difference on just one property. Yeah, that's awesome, and that that makes or breaks the deal. <laughs> yes yeah. it does not
0: big time yeah. and now are you seeing like we're talking a little bit about cash flow but what are you seeing as far as prices to enter into the market do you find that prices are softening and dropping are you are you, are you able to get better price points to enter in today than you were a year
1: ago uh short answer is yes um a year ago was kind of like when the peak of the market was and interest rates were still at probably like three, four percent. They have certainly come down. Like, you know, we we used to not be able to see anything under 500. Now we're seeing things back into the mid to even low 400s in the Denver area. And, you know, it's not to say that the payments are still higher, right? Because the interest rates are high. But that's just kind of the nature of it. Like, you know, you know, you know what Denver could do. Uh, And it's just a matter of waiting because like, you know it's just interesting if you see the growth of other cities right i mean manhattan at one point was a time where you could probably buy a rental property and it would cash flow and it would be totally fine right and so if assuming people will st- are still moving into these areas and the population is growing which is another subject we could hit on about the population growth slash decline um but if you assume all those things stay true then denver and all these second tier cities that you mentioned, the Nashville's and Seattle's and Austin's, will just kind of end up being kind of like the LA's and the New Yorks where, yeah, you're not cash flowing, right? And then the New Yorks become kind of like maybe London, right? Where the cap rates are like one percent in in uh, different cities like that. And so I think that's kind of where where we're headed. We we
0: agree with that. So, you know, prior to um oh eight, we started investing and and we came up with a very simple philosophy was that Focus on long-term trends. Take advantage of short-term weaknesses, and cities that um, would become something else. Right? We we had we saw what was happening out west, and we saw how the end of the '90s and the beginning of the 2000s blew up some of these cities. And there was a big argument after 2008 that these boom cities would die; that nobody was ever going back to them again. Right? So Vegas, um, Austin, Boise, uh, you had even Phoenix, like Phoenix, people like Phoenix will come back and everything, but it's not going to be forever, right? Uh, Salt Lake, Denver, and we didn't buy into that at all. In fact, we bought into more of the fact that this it, the long-term trends are solid, it's the short-term stuff that's over exaggerated because of the economic factors, meaning that you stop people from moving, right? That's going to hurt. So it was more like to us a play on if we believed that Americans were still going to move, these were great. If we believed Americans will never move again, like our, because America is very unique in that, right? We're very unique in the world where Americans, we move, we get up and we go. Um, most places in the world don't. And so we, that idea that if that's going to keep happening, what is drawing the people there in the first place? And have those fundamentals gone away and when we looked at it it was no it was the general reason why people were moving to those markets were not none of that had changed so then in theory it would start back up and it would continue because like you said it, we've seen this over and over again in the united states we saw this take place in california at one time where everybody moved to California, right? We saw it in Florida, we saw it in, and now those Florida and California are ginormous, huge markets. It was not that long ago that nobody lived in Florida, right? It was, you know, it was not that long ago. And people from the Northeast thought it was ludicrous that anybody would even go down there or develop there. And uh, I think that's the same to second tier markets, what you're seeing. We look at it and say, Boise will be Salt Lake. Salt Lake will be Denver. And Denver will be Phoenix. It's just
1: there, right? It's just yeah. doubt and that thing. As as things grow, yeah. And I think I think one thing you should mention, you know, just to add on to your short term trends, is is that's what covers the news. The, the news doesn't talk about long term stuff, yes. right? And so all of the hype, you have to ignore mm-hmm. it. Like like I I don't watch the news, but anytime yep. some random person in the grocery store I hear talking about real estate, oh, now's a great time to buy. It's like okay, crap, I'm gonna stop buying, right? I Kind of have to do the opposite of what they're saying. Yeah. That's, I mean, it was just,
0: I started, it's funny because I wrote this long blog post for this thread thing on self-storage and I called it the self-storage bubble. And this was a year and a half ago. So right kind of at the peak. And the reason why I brought it up and started writing it six months prior and putting all this stuff together was because I started hearing everybody say self-storage is recession proof. And I was like, "Uh oh, just like you said, "Uh oh, we got a problem here. Right. Mm -hmm. Like, self-storage can't fail. Like, and I'm like, I'm back in 2007. Yeah. Housing prices can never fall. Yeah. And I'm like, that's not how this works, right? And it's like, if you, you, what you said the long-term, ignore the short-term stuff. Are you in it for the long-term? And that's how I know too, if, it is, if an investor will be successful, whether it's house hacking, whether you're a real estate agent, whether it's self-storage or not, are you in it for the long-term? Not because some short-term pops and short-term gains, right? Because if you are, then in that short term
1: fluctuation you can really take advantage for the long term and it pays yeah. off. AJ I want I want to ask you a question too because you're a smart guy. Um, one thing that people you know real estate has always gone up, right? That's that's what they say and that's why it's it's the fail safe and that's why 0 happened, right? Because it's yeah. always gone up. And what also has always gone up is the population. Yes, right? population has always gone up. Yep. But now we're starting to see a trend where less people are having kids. They're having kids later, which is, of course, going to mean that some point in the long term, the population is going to go down. Yep. And so, curious if your team or you have thought about that and like what those effects of real estate might be. Yeah, how we do. um Birth rates
0: are something we look at, and birth rates tied to migration because the thing that offsets birth rates is migration, right? We yep. need people coming in, so. People is demand. The moment people stop, our economy stops. Like, that is a death sentence. A lot of people do not understand how big of a deal it is, but every single decline, like, there's a lot of correlations that people may find for empires that have been fallen or that why the ginormous economic machines collapsed and credit cycles, different things like that. But there's one indicator and one indicator only that no economy has ever survived. And that is a population decline. It has always resulted in a total, utter collapse. And it also then resulted in a collapse of uh, lifespan, of life quality. And it's the one thing that people don't realize, right? And so we are big on birth rate and migration patterns. So if the birth rate is low, but migration is super high, and there's reasons for it that is stabilized, that's fair. But aging out populations in the East Coast they have low birth rates and nobody's moving there to dig themselves out of the snow, I'm not interested. Right. At all. Right? High birth rate locations like Idaho, Salt Lake, Arizona, and Colorado still even has some fairly high, and two, Colorado has a lot of migration. And so when you look at that and you say, we have high birth rates and high migration, it's it, the United States is going to be a tell of two sins. I, I, we believe our investing philosophy is that there will be some locations that will dramatically outpace the rest of the United States uh, because of exactly what you're talking about. What do you guys
1: think? Yeah, no, I I think um, it's something very similar, right? Where it's it's everyone's talking about how real estate always goes up, but it again, like I said, like population has always gone up, and so like you mentioned, I'm I'm investing in areas um, and, and want to invest in areas where i see people moving to in in swarms right and colorado i think was that people are starting to move out of colorado a little bit like more so than ever before slow down yep yeah so i think i think colorado might be hitting a plateau it feels like d'Alene and idaho and and, and perhaps boise is kind of like where denver was a few years ago they're building they're expanding secrets kind of out it feels Yeah. yeah and so i like to invest maybe like just in the beginning of when the secret's out and then you kind of let people come. Uh, Because that that runway's long. Because if you think about it, Denver started in the 90s.
0: And so like Boise, we started to have migration, but we didn't have infrastructure. We now have infrastructure. And so you're you're exactly right. The secret, when the secret gets out, there's a pretty long runway usually until it almost, not that it collapses in on itself, it's just not sustainable. Right? You can only grow at a certain level. So I agree. I like hitting it right before. We like investing in cities like even that lower tier part of the second tier markets. But we're like, this is sustainable and will continue to grow for a long time. We're big on Reno um, and uh, uh, submarkets of Arizona, Phoenix that we're developing in, which, you know, same same type of thing. So,
1: yeah, 100% on board. with that. It, what markets are you seeing? You- um, so so the markets I like right now. I mean, I, I still do like Denver. Um, I like Court Lane, where um I've got one new build going up in like Florida, kind of just south of Sarasota. Um, it, it, it one thing, one thing that I like in markets is markets that are geographically confined. Like, why is San Francisco so expensive? Well, they got water on three sides, yeah. right? Uh, same thing with New York. It's or Manhattan. It's an island. And so, you know, in Denver, you've got the mountains, uh, in Idaho, you've got kind of mountain, or at least in Coeur you've got mountains all surrounding, believe it or not. I've never been to Boise. So I don't know. Yeah. I'm sure you guys have got some mountains. You've got uh... mountains and a big river. So yeah, exactly. So, so it's, it's geographically confined. And that means there's a, you know, there is a lower supply of land, yeah. which means there's only so many houses that can go up there, which means when the supply is limited, the demand goes up, which means prices go up. And so I also like places that have some sort of geographical constraints. Salt Lake is a perfect example of that. Salt Lake is beautiful. Yeah. It's like,
0: I mean, when you when you get in areas like the Midwest where you can expand in all directions, it's really easy just to go out and develop, you know, where else. Because expansion, like in some areas, whether you're right, like it's Denver or even Boise, like you could expand a long ways in one direction. The problem with that is you're getting further away from the where people need to go. Yeah. So all of a sudden the ex, you, you can't just keep expanding in one direction or you're so far away from where you're trying to go it doesn't make sense but when you're in kansas city i mean they got a whole loop around kansas city where you could just go around the entire city get all the suburbs right everything else like that you just can't
1: do that in western cities it doesn't work no exactly exactly figure out where the people want to go and you want to be as close as possible to that location but like you said uh people have, have kind of coming to me with that too. Oh, well, like Denver, you can always just expand east. It's like, well, then you're not in Denver anymore. De- Denver, is the border. Denver is the mountains. People don't even want to live in an Aurora, which is maybe 45 minutes from the, or from like the other side of Denver, which will then get you 45 minutes from the mountains. Yep. You know, it's people don't want to live there. Exactly.
0: And you, so you look when you're buying a house for like rent, you're trying to find this constrained, but obviously, it sounds like you're buying in places where people want to go for multiple reasons. Recreation, right? You have outdoors, living you know, standards. You have all these things that people, especially renters, right? Oh, I want to live here. I can't afford to buy here, but I want to live here so I can be close. I can have this nice area. I can still get to work and have all the amenities, right? Um, because I'd assume, right, that the further out you go, let's say it is in Aurora things... Housing prices are much cheaper. So then all of a sudden the rents you could achieve from would their fall in place be cheaper. Is that kind That's of what you're right. thinking?
1: Yeah, exactly right. Um and, and there's nothing wrong. Like I, I think like if you've got the if your options are, you know, invest in Aurora or some cheaper market, yeah. just maybe a little bit in not investing at all, like Aurora is still a better investment than nothing. Yeah. Um but if you can, like I always recommend, people go. And again, I don't know how well you know Denver, but you got two hundred thousand square feet there, so you must know it pretty well. Yeah. Um, but like you know, there's west of I twenty five, right? And that's like Arvada and Westminster and all these areas. And I'm like, yeah, like these areas are good. There's Boulder right here, there's Denver right here. The mountains are just across the way. Like those are the places where you want to buy some place, buy some houses.
0: Yeah, I agree hundred percent. Now, what about other side of the stream, the other side of the Mississippi? are you targeting areas you mentioned florida which i agree i love florida you have con- definitely constrained real estate in florida you have uh, two big ponds and uh, swamp. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> like, a swamp yep they're all crocodiles land yeah <laughs> uh, I mean, so and uh, people are flocking there like it's shocking how many people are moving to florida which is a very different thing than texas because Texas housing, because you can just sprawl out wherever. I was just down in Houston two weeks ago, and it's insane. I mean, yeah, you know, you can just see forever. Just yep. and they just build forever. It's like I can see skyscrapers like where other cities are in viewpoint. Yeah. It's like you know,
1: Florida. No, no, Florida. Yeah, I, and and I think like uh, there's a lot going on in Florida that I think works to the real estate investors' advantage. Um, of course, there's there's the constraints. One, two, property prices. are pretty dang cheap down there too uh taxes are reasonable um it's uh, i'm not i'm not too politically like like astute or whatever but i believe it's more red uh and i personally like investing in red states because there's way less rules and they're more landlord friendly and so i like that uh and so those are kind of the things about florida and also people are like weather is a big thing in this 20-year period that we're in And people want to be warm. And so flock down there, the boomers, right? That's the the largest generation of all time. The biggest generation of all time. They're aging. They're moving down to Florida. Most, I don't want to say most boomers are on the East Coast, but I think they're definitely the population. There's probably a lot more on the East Coast than the West Coast. Where's they moving to? Florida. They want to vacation in Florida for half the year and go back up to their home for the other half of the year. I mean, there's just a lot of things going on. Yeah. There's a lot a lot of things to like it's quality of life people get the
0: ocean um they are still think lots of kids there you have uh immigrants that are coming up from the south so you you it's like the north and the south are feeding florida and people from other countries love florida so i used to live in brazil and i went down there and i was shocked how many brazilians were there and i was like this is awesome i mean it was just like you could pick a country from south america and you were going to have a huge population and the people that were moving there from Florida were when we say immigrants they had a lot of money it was they were they were going shopping for chanel things like that because they felt that it's safer there to park their money than elsewhere so i i agree i and it's interesting when you look at these because we're talking about like okay we have these overarching trends down to micro trends right so you talk about We have these greater effects going on where you have the migrations headed from California to the Northeast. They're dispelling. You have the age of the population, which is moving for certain reasons. Then you get into those locations. Now we're talking about, okay, where's it lying up to the, uh, you know, people want to live next to the mountains. They want to do. So is that kind of how you look and how you dissect your markets? You start big and start whittling it down, down, down. This is a red state. So it's better for me as a land lord to be there and then you just kind of
1: keep going down till you find those handful or pocket communities i you know i wish i was that systematized and i wish i had i wish i was that smart if i'm being honest uh, honestly um i you know i invested in denver mainly because i lived there right and i, and I kind of saw that and that I'm, I'm investing in northern idaho like one because i lived there but two uh, i I can I can literally walk to Washington for more at the Like yes. i, I, I it, it is very close. but I will not buy a single thing in Washington, yeah, because the landlord laws are just ridiculous and it, it's insane. It, it's cheaper in Washington and your rents are better than what like it, it would be a better real estate market. But the thing is is you can go eighteen months without collecting a paycheck if the, and the renters know what they're doing. and the renters know that too. they know right. 100%. And so and so um, you know, I, I really i I'm a big fan of just like invest where you know. Yes. Um find a team, invest there. Um, Florida was just a place. Um, again, I kind of liked the I mean, maybe I kind of did that with Florida. Yeah. Right. Uh and I and I've got some property in North Carolina as well. Similar so similar thing. Yeah. Um, but really I'll I'll go to try to find a team first and then and then I'll go make sure it hits the market criteria. Because I think you'll I would be just be analyzing analyzing markets my whole life and never actually pick anything. Yeah. If I if I just try to find the most perfect place to invest. Oh, 100%. It doesn't exist.
0: Yeah. And I talk to a lot of people about this that are like, I need this and this and this and this out of a market. And I'm like, you and everybody else. Yeah. That doesn't exist. You want three square feet per capita. You want 100% occupancies, rising rates with a 3% growth rate. And you wanted it an eight cap. You will never buy a property, right? It's never going to happen. And uh, I, even like us, when we started out, we were in, in, investing in small towns in rural Idaho, Oregon and Washington. We don't have to deal with the land laws like you do in storage. Yeah. but um, it was because we knew them. That was it. We understood them, right? And uh, we and I look at that, what we're talking what you're talking about, migration patterns and top-down or whatnot that's all that it is, is I understand why I think this area is good why I can get high rates. Um, But two, you're also not investing in an area like I find some people will say, well, I want to invest in my local market because it's safer because I know it, even if it's not a good market. So what about that? You're in a market that is not probably a great market. Maybe rent prices are stagnant. um, Home appreciation is stagnant. Uh, do you suggest going a little ways out, or do you do you suggest structuring the deal so it works in those markets? Like, okay, maybe you do some seller financing, owner carry, or maybe you negotiate cheaper prices. What would your suggestion be to a person that's looking at us, saying, "Guys, I live somewhere in the Northeast, in the middle of nowhere. I'm scared to invest outside. What what should I do?"
1: Yeah, that's a, that's a great question, and and I I, I truly truly think that there are deals in every market, whether that's good or bad. And so it's one, can you find the right deal? Is it the right house with the right layout that you can then structure so you can rent it out? Um you know it's funny. There's a have you ever heard of Pittsfield, Massachusetts, by any chance? No. No. Um uh, I have because I'm from Massachusetts, but most people haven't. And I remember about a year ago I was doing some analysis on like some short term rental stuff. And they had actually like the highest short term rental rates um per uh like uh for the price of the house that there was like that was like the best ratio in the country and so who would have thought that pittsfield massachusetts right Yeah, literally Literally. like exactly and so the whole that's the whole idea is um is like find if you if you're new listening to this right just find a house hack in your backyard like you're not you're just it's going to really hard for you to lose now when you're at your level aj where you're buying hundreds of thousands of square feet of self storage and if it's multifamily or whatever it is, then you need to do then you're talking about scale where you really do need to analyze the markets a little bit better. Right. Because one person moving to, you know, to your area to, to what you know, middle of nowhere, Idaho, right, it's probably not going to affect you very much. You actually need some migration there. Yeah. You know, it's funny because when we when
0: we're 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 talking about growth rate cities, things like that, and one when we started, I actually did not want to invest in Boise, Seattle, uh, Spokane. I didn't want to invest in Arizona, and everything else, because I said I those markets are too big. They're I can't compete. I don't know how. Right and everything. And one of the things I think people forget is they think they should be investing in those markets, even though all the markets we've mentioned, everybody here knows why because everybody talks about them on investing. Everybody says, oh, you should be in Austin. Oh, you should be in Denver, right? Because why? Because over the last 10 years, everybody has made so much money in appreciation. But you also have that opposite effect, where right now, we got out of all fast-growing markets a year and a half ago. We went to the Midwest, Oklahoma, and um, Missouri. Why? because we said the prices were so inflated that our income, we call it rate runway, meaning how high rents will go, right, things like that, we felt had vanished, meaning there was more downside than there was upside. And now we're starting to go back into those those markets, but there's a lot of risk carried when you go and invest like that, when you're just, but when you're in an area that you know, you know that owner, you know that street, you know why people live there, why people are renting, what the companies they work for, you can then figure out how to make the deal work. That's what I did when we started. I understood those markets so I could make a deal work where nobody else was investing, like Bonners Ferry, Idaho, up north of you, that has a population of, I don't know, but it's not growing. Twine. Yeah, exactly. Right, There's more cows for sure. A hundred percent. We say there's more grizzly bears because there are definitely more cows and yeah. more grizzly bears. Nobody lives up there, right? Yeah. It's like, yeah. you know, Canadian wilderness. And, um, it. but we knew it. Mm-hmm. We understood it. And that's what really mattered. I think that's really strong advice. And Absolutely. I think that the same reason why I can't invest in the majority of the United States is because I don't know it. Is the same reason that you may have an edge up in your hometown over everybody else.
1: Exactly right, and, and I think I think that's just such a blatantly obvious place to start. And then you can like once you start investing in a city, right? Like you know, if you invest in Houston, you can probably copy and paste Houston to Atlanta, yep. into Dallas, into like other very similar cities. Like we've helped people buy house hacks. Like you got Denver in Seattle. In san diego in austin in in these markets that are very 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 similar to denver but if you were to come to even la we've helped right but like yeah. for me someone brings to me indianapolis like i can tell you what a deal will be what not but it's like man the numbers are so low i'm like oh, I, don't, I wouldn't think i'd roll out of bed for 200 dollars a month right yeah. like I, I don't think yeah. I, I don't think that's interesting to me yeah so but that's just me and my experience yeah no i
0: i love it that's such great advice All right so when you go into a market right we've talked about markets growth because a lot of people are concerned about that right now because another thing is markets are not acting the same right so we have markets that i think what markets are you worried about in the coming six months and when i say worried just mean you're like i don't think we're going to have a lot of momentum here now that may be a good thing meaning you may want to buy for opportunity or something like that but saying I think that these markets are just not only not going to outpace, but are probably going to struggle around the around because I noticed that some markets in the Northeast are appreciating, meaning their homes are going up at quite a bit, whereas go out west that that's not happening. So, what is your outlook? What are you nervous about, right? Because people are nervous, and so what are you looking at things and saying? What are you nervous about, or what what do you not really care about?
1: Yeah, but that's a great question, and honestly, I haven't I haven't thought too much about an answer to it. Um, and so, again, I, I don't have my eyes on a bunch of different cities. It's truly just a couple that I'm invested in. Um, the thing that I'm most nervous about is what happens if there's a population decline, Yeah, right? Uh, what we talked yep. about already um, and, and what to invest in. And what if, what if Denver draws the short straw? What if Coeur draws the short straw? Do I think they are going to? No. But like, what if? What if, right? It yeah. just takes one black swan incident to get that's people. Oh, radon levels are through the roof in Denver. Everyone. Everyone. Never goes, right. Uh, and so what happens there? And so that's why we're also investing in other markets in the event when something like that happens. Um, I'm the same way. I do the
0: same yeah. thing. It's why I will not only invest in one market because people say, well, you know that market so well that you have lower risk. But the problem is that I look at it and go, I don't know everything. I don't know what may happen or what may not happen. And I don't want to look back and say, well, that really turned out to be a a, a stupid thing, but nobody could have seen it. And now everything I had was there. And because of whatever, right? That none of us have any idea that one industry that dominated that market is evaporated, right? Like we don't want to be like the car companies once they left. Um, Detroit. Detroit, right. And just say, well, I had all my eggs in one basket. So we're the same way on that. aspect.
1: Yeah. And then I'd say like that, that, that's my biggest fear right there Yeah, is, is just, just some, something happening that that's totally unknown. Uh, but again, like, and you can't really like diverse by everything. And so like, also why I'm kind of like, okay, like, well, what happens again? Like what happens if this population does decline. And so I'm trying to think of like, well, what would you, like, what could I invest in that would go up if the population declines? Yes. And I personally don't have an answer to that. I don't either. Right. And yeah. so I'm just like asking all the smart people I know, everyone I know really, like yeah. got any ideas? And so, you know, um, what is there a way to diversify like that? I, well, I think you take an approach like Warren Buffett
0: and like a, I do where I'm like, I don't want to own a hundred stocks, but I don't want to own one. I want to own 10. Yeah. Right. So I want to own 10 winners. I don't want to own 100 because I think 20 of them are going to fail. I don't want to have any that'll fail. And I want to have 10 that I think and believe and have done the research that are home runs. But I buy 10 because I don't know all the things that could happen in a black swan event. But it doesn't matter because if I have 10 winners, even if one went down, I'm totally fine, right? That way I can concentrate my knowledge and this is more of an active investment approach. Obviously, this is what we're talking about. We understand those markets. We understand or have a strategy to enter into them. So it, it, we're talking about an active strategy. So with that, I want to know a handful of markets really good and find the winners in there, but I don't want to be concerned with every market. That's why, like for me, getting to my nose is way more important. So it's, it's not even so much which markets will win, I just wanna know exactly the markets that are not okay with me. So yeah. we have our buy box and we have our rules, right? All right, population decline is our first rule. We don't invest in it. So it just doesn't even matter. If the part, if we have consecutive years and population decline, it's gone for us. I'm not saying that that's right or wrong. I'm saying that that is our buy box. So I think getting to that no quick and not being spread thin, and getting to know a few markets really well that
1: you have determined are winning, that seems to be a great strategy to me. Yeah. And, and, and another thing that I think a lot of uh, newer people fall for, and, and I've followed for this too, is is you know it's easy to get emotionally wrapped up in a deal. And you hear that all the time, right? Where it's like, oh, you just love the house. You've gotten this far and you've gotten through inspection. You should just go through with it. But I think it's thinking like your people are emotionally invested in deals because they're worried about what other people might think about them and whether they go through with the deal or not. And I think that's like a, a deep down buried inside of some people that they need to like, pride is very expensive. I think it's the most expensive. yes, And so throwing away your pride, being able to say no to a deal at any time, being able to be like, yeah, like I don't want that one. I, I don't have enough money for that. Right make yourself sound a little bit weaker to other people. I think there's some, actually a lot more strength in that than trying to be this like macho, macho man that can buy everything that comes across their desk. A hundred percent. It's funny because we had
0: a portfolio last fall that we were in negotiations with huge. It was 150 million. And we were in the middle of due diligence. We had two third-party reports that were on the taxes. We agreed to the price, everything else. It was contingent right on We asked right up front, the taxes are correct. Came back, the taxes were not correct. This was the final week before our money went hard, which was millions. And when it came back, we went back to the owner because the taxes were wrong to a huge staggering amount. So it was hundreds of thousands of dollars a year, which equated to $13 million. And so we were like, yeah, this doesn't work, right? And we had been raising. So I'd been openly talking about this deal. I even had YouTubes. We had walkthroughs. We were raising capital for it, right? All that kind of stuff. Very publicly open about it. And the owner basically said, that's your problem, not ours. And we're like, I'm sorry, wait, what? You provided the numbers. They were wrong. We just did the due diligence to check them. And the reason being is, the broker told us afterwards, he never thought you'd walk away. Because we were so public and we'd worked so hard on the deal and so, so open and they were shocked when we were like, see ya, we're gone. We're not, we're not doing this. And it was like, even when people were, we were talking to people and they're like, you know, well, this might be embarrassing, things like that. I'm like, well, it's not embarrassing to walk away, right? It's embarrassing to do bad and lose money on a deal that you knew about. Yes. That's embarrassing. Yes. That is embarrassing. And so, like, for me, I think that actually, you're right, it shows the opposite. It's a sign of strength. And two, guess what, everybody? Our investors loved it. When we told everybody we walked away, we got so many people that wrote us in saying, thank you. Like, it was, they trusted us more because of it. And that's what they want. Don't waste, don't, don't do a deal that's bad. That's what they
1: want. So it worked out in our favor. Yeah, and and I think I think a good practice too is is don't have, don't have this predetermined story written out for yourself. Like, you know, don't have the news article written in your head that you're buying a hundred fifty million dollar complex, and oh no, now this news article is not going to publish, and and all of this hard work is gone. Right? Like when you self, when you give yourself these stories and you don't live up to them, I think that's where people, that's where people falter. And so I think you guys did a phenomenal job at just like taking it one day at a time, not looking too far ahead. And again, new evidence was provided. You got to kill the deal. Got to kill the deal. And it, it that's, that's the most important
0: thing that I think any investor can, is when to walk away. Mm-hmm. It's not the deal you should
1: buy. It's the ones you shouldn't. Right. Yeah. It's like you, you don't lose. The money you don't lose is probably a lot more than the money you gain in real estate. Right. Because there you are certain prices. Prices. All the time. one yeah. deal, One deal can take us back.
0: So it's not worth it. We will not grow over doing bad deals, and uh, um, we're okay with that. And I think too, you. I think what you've talked about is really good. And I, and I think I want people to remember this: fundamental stuff, simplicity stuff. There's a lot of information. There's a lot of stuff out there, and I think it's really easy to copycat or say, "I heard this. I I need to be doing this too," or it's not right. And that's just not
1: really how it works. No, and you and you can't you can copy a lot of people. I mean, I think most of what I've done is copy, copy and paste oh, with and strategies. With absolutely, yeah. And not need to... to reinvent the wheel. But no, uh, but I think a lot of a lot of what people try to do is they try to copy everybody on one deal, and that yeah. won't work because, won't like, work. you know doing what like Pace Morby does on subject two, and what you're doing on cell storage and what I'm doing on like house hacking and residential stuff, you can't really put all that into one. No. You can't, you know, like, you can't burn Denver, right? You can't put yeah. in, in in house hacking in somewhere Arkansas, like yeah. it'll probably work, but like won't be as good as a more expensive market. And so I think you need to like, you know, if you're listening, like pick one person you want to do your next deal with and like choose that person. To be your mentor even if you don't know them but just on instagram or whatever it is i that's exactly
0: right like it's Mm -hmm. you need to follow the strategies for that outcome that works within that thing you're doing not try to do everything that everyone else is doing because it's overwhelming especially when you're just starting out because you have such surface level knowledge so all of a sudden it gets really confusing when people are like well he's doing this and he's being successful so should i do that but he's doing it this way and he's being successful so should i do it? the answer is you could do it all ways and be successful but you can't do it all or else you'll fail so trying to replicate one strategy that you saw somebody else doing in a market that shouldn't be done it's going to get you in trouble right so i i, I think that's really wise advice especially right now where markets are now kind of i want to i want to talk about this real quick for people that are t- thinking about house hacking everything talk to me on the debt side what you're seeing right So if I'm wanting to go out and house hack, what are the things that I'm going to, the banks are going to be either wanting to see, nervous about, how do I get that loan? How do I get that put into place so I can do that? Like, has it changed dramatically? Am I running into problems
1: right now with banks or do you feel they're still good to work with? It's kind, kind of, of the same, honestly. I haven't seen too much of a difference that it's just harder to get a loan because just simply the debt to income requirements are higher. Um uh, okay. because Because the the interest rate. So the yeah, payments like, are higher. Yeah. And so someone making fifty grand a couple of years ago could probably afford a four hundred thousand dollar home. Now they can afford a two hundred and fifty thousand dollar home I and mean, that's not gonna get much of anything. And so that that's really the biggest difference. Um, but if you're starting, you know, again, it's sexy. And we kind of talked about this about like quitting your job and yeah going full time, right? Again, it's sexy, it's glamour, but yes. again, pride is very, very expensive. And so right. stay in your drive, just stay in your job, swallow your pride and just continue to like get those really, really cheap, great loans that are again like five, six, seven percent at this point in time, right? Yeah. Um, but whatever, they're gonna be the cheapest. Those owner-occupied loans, like get those as long as you can. Stay in your job for as long as you can, and you'll know when it's time to quit your job, because like like what happened with me, right? I was making triple what I was making in my side hustle. That at my job, my job was getting in the way. When yep. Your job starts getting in the way. That's when you quit your job, not because you want to tell all your friends that you quit your job. Hundred percent. I worked for a decade, two jobs, and
0: two. You were smarter than I was. I. Uh, it took me becoming paralyzed to quit my job and I didn't quit. They let me go. So I should have done that before. But it's I, you're right. It's like, it. you know when it's supposed to happen, it's time. I think that too, too many people think, once again, copying other people think they saw, oh, okay, Craig, you quit your job and did this. So I'm going to do the same thing. And you're like, but wait, I was making three times my income, yeah. right? Like it, there's a reason. And just like you did at the start, and most people do, my job was an asset to me because of the financing part. That was a yeah. huge asset to me, so it actually accelerated my growth. Even though most people talk about
1: how it can limit it, there's a right time to do it. Yeah, absolutely. And so, like you know, for those people that are listening that have those jobs, uh, my goal for you is like to get out as soon as possible. Yes, but within a reason. And so, like, hit that base level financial independence. Have like three to five thousand dollars of passive income coming in through passively, yes. and then you go ahead and quit your job because, Aj, you just alluded to it, right? Your your boss and and I, I do know your story about, about about being paralyzed. Let you go when you were paralyzed. Well, like that is like the worst possible thing. Like you thought you thought your boss liked you. You thought your company loved you. But facts of the matter is, if you can't produce for them, you're out. Yeah, you know, you're, you're you're a number, right? You're a number yep. if you're working a W two job. So get out as soon as you can, but don't get out too soon. Yes, don't don't do it to where it's going to actually
0: hurt you from getting out. Yeah, because you don't want to have to go back. You want to be able to carry on the momentum. It's really hard. to Actually, I will say that. Yeah, uh, I bet. Yeah. I couldn't even imagine right now. I know I would be a horrible employee today. It would not last. <laughs> yeah. So,
1: Totally the same, man. Totally the same. Oh.
0: Well, okay. We, you, uh, as we're wrapping this up here, I want to, I got uh, uh, a few things. First, I want to hear where people are going. But I think, I love your quote, pride is expensive and i think that honestly that is probably one of the best things anybody listening here today can remember it's about the result it's not about that you know it's not about that fancy pr- property it's not about the quitting your job right it's not about that it's about the result meaning that you can get the thing you can quit your job and so don't let pride stop you from getting your result i love that dude i think that is just a a great way to be thinking about it to ground yourself and to tie it to the success the outcome um not the instagram post and i think that'll make a big big difference but where could people go to find out about you read your book uh everything else where what links should we put in here where can we direct people man
1: yeah man so if you want to just follow me in my story uh, i'm the fi guy on instagram uh, if you want to work with our team or just check us out, we're the Fi team. You can just go to the And, uh, yeah, I mean, the book is everywhere. You can find books, Amazon, bigger pockets, whatever. Uh, and so, and so, yeah, we just love to, you know, feel free to reach out, shoot me a DM. I try to, I try to answer most of my messages and yeah, we'd love to, we'd love to connect with anybody. Awesome. Well, Hey man, I appreciate
0: you coming on. Thanks for hanging out with me today. Uh, we'll send people your way. Awesome. Thanks so much, AJ. We'll talk soon. Thanks.